Alrighty. Very, very good. Good to see everyone this morning. Um, like Sam said, I, I hope everyone here has had an awesome week. Um, we had a week full of adventures. Um, I just got back yesterday from a couple of days away with the family. It, uh, it consisted of Chipmunks Playground, uh, the Hamilton Zoo, and then the Wiggles concert. So it was a weekend full of relaxation and leisure, and I'm feeling really refreshed and charged up to speak to you this morning. Um, but as Sam said, if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Let's Talk About. Um, this series has all been all about kind of taking a few weeks to sort of slow down and talk about some of the things that we actually don't usually talk about. Um, perhaps things that we find it hard to talk about, perhaps things that are a little bit controversial. And we think it's really important that we have those conversations because if we don't talk about things, we never give ourselves the opportunity to have our mindsets um, shifted or, or never give ourselves the chance to have a change in perspective or to see things a different way. And as followers of Jesus, so much of our faith is learning to see the world as God sees it and then bringing our thinking into line with his thinking. So We've talked about a few things already. These are all on our podcast if you've missed any and you want to catch up. Uh, the first week we discussed the topic of money and that was kind of all about seeing money through the paradigms that God would have us see it. The second week we talked about fasting and we talked about the why behind fasting, why Jesus would, would ask us to fast and we talked about how we might engage in that uh, in our context today. And then last week we talked about sexual purity and we talked about how we can be pursuing the lifestyle that Jesus calls us to uh, in this day and age. And uh, for our final topic this week, if you're taking notes, uh, we are going to be talking about hell. H-E-L-L. -L. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to pray before we get into that this morning. Uh, dear Lord, I thank you so much for each and every person here, Lord. I thank you no one's here by accident, Lord, but you've drawn us here today. Holy Spirit, would you open each of our hearts and uh, would you teach us this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's talk about hell. Um, I have to admit I'm a little bit disappointed with the creative team because I, I thought it'd be a good idea to have big flames all up on stage and maybe come up to ACDC playing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> just, uh, just kidding. Like I, <laughs> I, um, I don't listen to ACDC. <laughs> Um, I say that in jest, um, like, and we laugh about that, but in the reality, hell is a really heavy topic. It's really complex, and I'm going to do my best to unpack it today to everyone. And uh, the thing is, is we don't actually talk about hell very often in church. Perhaps a, a few decades ago, maybe the pendulum was too far the other way, and it was all, all about hell and fire and brimstone. But I think perhaps now the pendulum's gone too far the other way, and we, we actually don't talk about a very mainstream doctrine that the Bible talks a lot about and uh, I've been thinking about it if, if I was the devil um, my strategy would be to try to convince people that hell wasn't a real place I would try to convince people that hell wasn't real and I would try to convince people at least not to take it seriously because if people believe that hell's not a real place they can essentially live whatever life they want to live on this earth without any ramifications of consequences if hell's not re real I might as well eat drink and be merry because there's nothing, there's no consequence with the way I live my life. And that's really what I believe the devil's done. I believe he's tried to keep hell out of mind, out of sight, that it might be out of mind. Because the truth is, is that no matter who we are, if we think that there's even a possibility that hell is real and that it's eternal, it causes us to stop and think, how am I living my life today? Am I living it in light 
of eternity. You know, when we look through the scriptures, hell is found right throughout the scriptures. You know, Jesus, the most loving person that ever existed, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of compassion, and the God of truth, spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. So Jesus clearly didn't think it was unloving to tell people about the truth about eternity. In fact, I believe he actually thought it was loving to actually present an accurate truth around what happens after we leave this world. You know, one of the words that Jesus used when talking about hell to his uh, Israeli audience was the word Gehenna. Uh, And Gehenna was an actual place in the southwest corner of Jerusalem uh, in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And this was a place in the Old Testament where, um, where the Israelites would go and, and sacrifice, uh, sacrifice their children to the god Moloch. They had turned from God and they were following this pagan god and it was a place of child sacrifice. Because of its history, it was considered to be uh, cursed by God. It became a rubbish dump, a place where dead animals would be dumped, sewage, human waste and the bodies of executed criminals would be in this place of Gehenna. And uh, you can imagine that the stench was just horrible and it was a place where there was a fire that would never go out. It was referred to as the land of no more. It was the land of no more beauty. It was the land of no more peace. It was the land of no more joy. It was the land of no more chances. It was the land of no more hope. It was the land of no more. So when Jesus talked about hell to the people that followed him at that time, he used the worst possible description he could to connect with that audience. It was the place of no more, a place cut off from everything good, a place cut off from the very presence of God. And it's pretty sobering, isn't it? It's pretty heavy when you stop and think about it. And I guess that naturally raises a question of why would God create a place like that? Why would God allow a place so horrible to exist? And I believe there's two answers to that question. Uh, The first answer is that hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan. Jesus alludes to this when he talks about the final judgment um, uh, where, you know, those that are are righteous or righteous in Christ will go into everlasting life and and those that aren't will, will have everlasting condemnation. He says this in Matthew 25. It says, Then he will say to those on his left, See everyone that's left-handed? Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, hell was actually originally created for the devil and his angels. And sometimes when we think about the devil, uh, maybe in our context, uh, an image comes to mind of a little guy with a pitchfork that maybe is responsible for a few bad things here and there. But the reality is, is Satan is the embodiment of all evil. He's behind every addiction, He's behind every abuse. He's behind sickness, pain, fear. Uh, The scriptures call him the destroyer, the deceiver, the accuser, the dark angel, the tempter, the wicked one, the thief, the father of lies. He is on a mission to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to take out your kids. He is the embodiment of all evil. But the good news is that his time is limited, and God will judge him and his minions and throw them into hell. Revelation 20.10 says this, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I think we would all agree with that one, that God is righteous and just to give the devil the penalty he is due. The second reason why hell exists, and this one might be slightly harder for us to grasp, is hell exists for God to righteously punish evil. You know, we live in a world that is very self-righteous. 
we create our own definitions of what is right or wrong. We create our own definition of what it means to live a good life. We often use other people's lives as a, as a yardstick or a measurement to compare about how good someone is or, or what they deserve. We say things like, well, that person lived a very good life. But the truth that we all need to understand is, is that in our essence, none of us are good. In our essence, none of us are good. We are all sinners that need saving. We have all turned and rebelled from God. We all have an inner nature that's geared towards selfishness. We have all rebelled against God. We've all hurt people. And in the sight of God, we all fall short. Every single one of us. It says in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is the starting place to actually a relationship with Jesus is to recognize I have sinned. I have fallen short. I can't make it on my own. I am not righteous. The truth is, is no one is without sin. And the thing is, it's impossible for God to be holy without being just. It's impossible for God to be holy without being just. It's impossible for God to be righteous without judging sin. He must judge sin. There's something even within us that when evil is committed, it cries out, justice needs to be served. And love is not love without justice. And that is why Jesus had to endure what he endured. The beating, the whipping, the scorning, the shame, the cross, the nails, the torment. He bore God's righteous wrath, God's righteous judgment on, for our behalf on his body. And that is why we might be saved, because he has paid the penalty. He's paid it for us. And, and if we haven't put our faith in him, we will stand before God on our own accord, and we won't measure up. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says this, it says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. They will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Hell is to be shut out from God. Hell is a place where God isn't. That is the essence of hell and it's sobering and it's heavy, and it's not nice to think about, it's not nice to talk about, but the reality is it's the truth that's been revealed in scriptures. And the thing is, if we don't understand what we've been saved from, we'll never truly appreciate God's grace. If we don't understand what our penalty was meant to be, we'll never understand how blessed we are to have what we have. You know, hell is the backdrop of understanding God's grace. If you think about it, if you were going to prison for 50 years and someone paid for 25 years of your sentence, you'd be pretty thankful. But think about if you were going to a horrible place and that's what you deserved forever and someone came in off their own accord and paid your, paid your way that you might have everlasting life and not only that, but you might be reconciled to God, have a new inheritance and have eternal hope, the natural response is to commit your entire being to that person. You know, hell helps us understand God's grace. And it's actually a reminder not to take our salvation lightly because he has offered us so great a salvation. And I think the point in this message is that I really want to say is God does not want anyone to go to hell. You need to hear that God takes no pleasure in people going to hell. In fact, he's done everything in his power to prevent anyone from going to that place. He literally came on his own accord and bore the sins of the world in his body out of his great love, undeserved, while we were yet sinners. He does not want anyone to go there. Jesus said things like, I came to seek and find that which was lost. I did not come for the righteous, but for the sinner. 
I did not come for the healthy, but for the sick, for everyone that is lost. That is why I came. He paints a picture of the father of someone who would recklessly leave 99 safe sheep to go and pursue one. That is how much God loves people, and that is how much he does not want anyone to go to hell. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's patient. He's waiting. He wants everyone to come to repentance. God wants everyone to save. He wants everyone to be blessed. But ultimately, God will honor people's free will. God will honor choice because love cannot exist without choice. He gives people a choice. This is what Sue Pickering explains so eloquently. She says, although God's love goes and has gone to the uttermost, plumbing the depths of hell, the possibility remains for each human being of a final rejection of God and so of eternal life. Love cannot because it will not compel the surrender of a single heart which holds out against it. Love never forces and therefore there can be no certainty that it will overcome. God wants everyone, but he doesn't force people's hands. Love cannot exist. He ultimately lets people make a choice. Dallas Willard says this, hell is not a slip in the wrong direction. One does not miss heaven by a hair, but by constant effort to avoid and escape God. Outer darkness, as Jesus calls it, are for those who everything said want it, whose entire orientation has slowly set itself against God and therefore against how the universe actually is. Saying God doesn't make mistakes. People don't miss this by the breadth of a hair. It's through constant, persistent rebellion against God, and he ultimately will give people what they want. Um, So if I could just have uh, Mike up. So what is the, the reality of hell? What is hell actually like? I'm, I'm going to be very clear with this, and I'm going to explain it through a parable uh, that Jesus told uh, his followers when they walked the earth. Uh, this is from Luke 16, uh, verse 19 to 27, if you, you want to follow along. It says, this is a story Jesus was telling. He said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Uh, We know this man was rich because at that time, purple was the most expensive dye. And they would say that fine linen uh, would would almost cost a a year's worth of food. So he was very wealthy. Um, At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. So this is not the Lazarus Jesus raised. It's a different Lazarus. He was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, that was a a place, a name used for the place of the dead or for punishment. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his fire in, in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. He's saying, I am in torment. Have mercy on me. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. A great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from over there. He's saying it's fixed. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Pretty sad story, isn't it? I just want to unpack four things that we can learn about the reality of hell. 
The first thing we, we observe is that the rich man was fully conscious and aware. He was full of remorse. He was full of regret. Hell is a state of consciousness. The second thing we observe is that the rich man's eternity was irrevocably fixed. There was a gulf. There was a chasm. It was too late. It was the land of no more. No more chances. The third thing we observe is that the rich man knew that his suffering was just. We, we know this because he complained about the pain, but he never complained about the injustice. You know, God, God is a God that is perfectly just, and that's the thing that we can take comfort in. He won't get anything wrong. He won't get anything wrong. We can trust his character. He's given everything uh, within him to save people. Why would, he, why would he be unjust? And the fourth thing we observe is that the rich man pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. He didn't want another person going to hell. You know, hell is a horrible place. So how do we respond to a message like this? How do we respond? The, the first thing you need to know is that if you've put your faith in Jesus and you've submitted to his will for your life and you're pursuing him, you do not need to worry about going to hell. You don't need to worry. God doesn't want you to worry about am I saved or not? am I not saved. You are saved if you've put your faith in Jesus and you've given your life to him. You will be entering uh, paradise with him. You will, however, be judged. All of us are going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give an account for how faithful we are with what we used, with what God put in our hands. Our decision to give our lives to Christ will determine where we spend eternity, but our faithfulness will determine how we spend eternity. You know, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus and if you haven't committed your life to him, I really encourage you to do that. That is the only way to get to, that is the only way to be restored to God. That is the only way to have your sins paid for. That's the only way to be forgiven and restored. And I really encourage you to do that if you haven't done that yet. You know, we should respond to this message uh, for those of us who, who have given our hearts to Jesus by being thankful. Just ponder what God saved you from, what it cost him. It cost them so much, man. And, and the, honestly, the natural response is for us to commit our entire lives to him. He saved us from destruction. He saved us from doom. He's, he's brought us into relationship. He's given us hope. And so there is actually no place for apathy in the Christian faith. There's no place for half-heartedness. It should be a wholehearted devotion to the one that saved us and gave everything for us. So this could be a message where our way to respond is actually to repent. And be like, Lord, I've taken it for granted. Lord, I haven't appreciated what you gave for me. You know, this message should cause all of us to live our lives through the lens of eternity. 80 years is a click of a finger. Eternity is forever. And finally, this message should cause us to live a life on mission. It should cause us to live a life on mission, to be actively praying for those that don't know Jesus to be actively praying for those that haven't been reconciled to God, to share our faith with anyone who will listen, to share, to extend invites, to be partnering with God that we might see as many people as we can be reconciled to God. We need to be on mission, guys. God's heart is that none of, no, no one would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And he's given us that task of sharing that message. Um, so just as we close today, um, as I've said each week, if you've got questions, please ask them. Please send me an email. Please come and talk to me. 
if this has brought something up for you, please talk to someone else in the community of faith about it. Please share it. If this is, if this is hard for you, get prayer. Have those conversations. Talk about it. Um, you know, this is a hard truth, but I really believe as I've presented what's accurate today. Um, and if we just stand to our feet, I'd just like to finish by praying. Um, and we're going to go back into a song uh, after this, that song, Same God. And um, the God we serve is the same God. He's been working out a plan in history to, to bring people back to himself, to restore creation, to redeem lost things. Um, and he's mighty to save. And I'd just really love it if we would pray with our community and those who, who don't know Jesus, hold them in our hearts and just declare you're the same God. You, you, you're stretching your hand out and believe that God is going to save. Lord, um, I thank you, Lord, that we can rest in the fact that you are perfectly good. We see that in Jesus. You've revealed it to us. You are the most loving, graceful, awesome God. Your motives are for our highest good. You love each and every human being. Lord, you're, you're like a, a reckless shepherd, Lord, that would do the most illogical things just to save one person. Lord, you're like a lovesick father that runs towards his lost son that turns. Lord, you so care about each and every person. You love them. Lord, you, you've been revealing yourself to them, Father, and we just really pray, Lord, that you would save people in our community. Lord, we pray, Father, that the lost would be saved. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would see people be baptized and be reborn. Father, we pray for those that are dear to us, Lord, for whatever reason, Lord, aren't being responsive to your grace. Lord, we just trust that you love them and that you're pursuing them. Lord, but we ask for you to move in their hearts and their lives. Father, we, we ask that you would stir us, Lord, to play our part in your story. Lord, to pray. Father, to, to share our stories. Lord, we, we trust that when we get to the other side, everything will make sense. Lord, even though uh, there's a mystery, Lord, and, and it might be hard to fully comprehend, we trust that you're good, that your judgment will be just, and that everything will be made right. Lord, uh, I thank you that it's not our burden to, to carry, Lord, other people who, who aren't making that decision, Lord, that's yours. So, Lord, we, we surrender that to you. And we trust you, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.